I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across MLS and Europe. On today's show, we're going to preview the upcoming Nations League games. The U.S. plays Granada this Friday, March 24th, and El Salvador the following Monday, March 27th. Here to help me talk through these games is Joseph Lowry. Joseph is the editor at Backhield. Joseph, welcome to the show. Frank, thank you so much for having me. It is great to be here. So I'm excited to get into these games. Before we do that, I just want to take a look at the big picture of where things stand in the Nations League, how things are set up for the U.S. right now. So the U.S. is in League A, Group D with El Salvador and Granada. Whoever wins the group will move on to the Nations League semifinals on June 15th in Las Vegas. Right now, El Salvador is top of the table with five points. U.S. has four and Granada has one. But the U.S. has played one less game than both of them. El Salvador and Granada have already played both their games against each other and just have their games against the U.S. remaining. The U.S., of course, has these two remaining. So we're in pretty good position. No matter what happens with Granada, if we get that win against El Salvador, we will move on to the semifinals. Uh, But we can make it easier on ourselves with getting a result at Granada. Because even if we get a tie at Granada, we'll head into that El Salvador game level with them at five points. We have a better goal differential than they do. We have plus five. They have plus two. So then even a tie would be enough for us to to move on. With all that being said, Joseph, when you sit down on Friday, you got your popcorn, you got your beer, you got whatever you're going to have, and uh, you sit down to watch the game. The starting lineups come out. The game gets underway. What are some of the first things you're going to be watching for? So the first thing for me, and I don't know if he's going to be in the starting lineup, but the first thing is trying to put on my body language expert glasses, right? And trying to look at how the team is reacting to Giorena. Really, I think that's been so much of the big story through this camp. Tim Ream has come out and, and talked about things a little bit. We're going to continue to get more from the players and from everyone else involved with the USMNT on Reina as time goes on. That's that's the biggest part of this camp, right? When the roster was released and, and reporting came out even a day before the roster had come out, that Gio Reyna was going to be with the team in Orlando, then flying down and, and going through all of the motions in this camp. Immediately, the biggest storyline became, how does Gio Reyna reintegrate himself into this team? How do his teammates respond? From what I've heard, there's still some animosity uh, between several different players and Giorena or or mostly, you know, people still being angry at Giorena for the lack of effort that he showed at the World Cup. So there are going to be challenges there at the same time. My best guess is that when Giorena comes on the field, and I honestly don't know if it will be in the Granada game, I would expect he probably won't start in this match. But regardless, if he's on the field at some point in this game, I would imagine that a lot of what has gone on, specifically surrounding Giorena, even separating the the Berhalter family stuff and, and Reyna's family as much as you can from this situation, I think a lot of the hassle is going to fade away. I think when Gio Reyna starts to contribute in the attack and he starts to look like the best player in the pool, which I, I truly believe that he is when he's healthy, I think a lot of the, the outside stuff is going to fade away and it's going to become a, a pretty professional Let's just get through this together. We don't have to like each other, but we're going to we're gonna go out there and succeed because that's our mutual goal. I think that's what we're going to see, but I don't know for sure, right? Gio Reyna is still a young player. There's still so much of this story that's left to be told in terms of the rest of his career. So it might not look that way, but seeing what happens with Gio Reyna, whether it's in the first game on Friday, whether that happens on Monday, whether we don't see it at all in this camp, whatever happens, that's one thing. And then the other thing, Frank, really is 
just trying to look at some players, right? It, it's going to be difficult to read too much into these games because Granada are are not a good team, right? They are well into the hundreds in terms of the FIFA rankings, which aren't really a good ranking system, but it's kind of what a lot of us tend to go to. ELO ratings as well aren't much kinder to Granada, so if you want to have a little bit of a more precise method. So, you know, it's going to be difficult, especially in the Friday match, to tell much, but, you know, who who looks good? Who looks sharp? Who's fun, right? I'm, I'm trying to have fun while we watch these games. We don't need to go crazy into major takeaways. The Reina thing, I, I do think, could be valuable and interesting in a more long-term way, but, you know, I want to see I want to see Brian Reynolds. Like, does he look fun? I want to see Daryl DK in these games and see, you know, I, I want to see him continue to improve and become a part of this team going forward if if indeed he's good enough. So it, it's not about, for me, firm player identification and evaluation across these two Nations League games. I think we'll get better chances to do that in the summer with an even larger group of players across the Nations League Final Four if the, if the U.S. gets there after these games, which they absolutely should, and the Gold Cup. So we don't need to read too much into these matches. Yeah, I think everybody, everybody's excited for that moment when Reyna first steps on the field and uh, just seeing how that all plays out, seeing the body language. And I agree with you. I think once he gets out there, it's going to dissolve a lot of the tension you know, pretty quickly. It's just those first moments out there that everybody is just so, so anxious to see. I'm really curious. The thing that, that I'm most, I, I, I guess, looking forward to with that first game on Friday is when the lineups come out. I'm so curious to see how Anthony Hudson is going to rotate these lineups, what he's going to do with these games being so close together, only two days, you know, two days rest between the games. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. Let's talk about those starting lineups. What would be your strategy going in? Are you going to put your best 11 out on the field against Granada? Are you going to put a B team out there, some kind of rotated team? What kind of strategy are you thinking with that starting lineup for Friday? So I would put out basically who I think are the second choice guys in this camp. Now, there's still a lot of exciting names in the second choice guys, some folks that I've written about a lot this year, some folks that I'm I'm really excited to see who I think could really push some of the first choice guys coming out of the World Cup. So, you know, keep that in the back of our minds here. But because the Granada game doesn't matter a lot, even in terms of results, right? It's the El Salvador match at home that the U.S. has to make sure they they win, really, to make sure that they can advance here. That's not the only permutation, but that's it's important to get a result there. The Granada game doesn't, doesn't have a huge impact on the probabilities here, so I, I wouldn't sweat it. I think whoever you can put out on the field would be favored by a considerable margin in this game. So I'll run through my lineup and highlight a few players that I think are especially intriguing along the way. So I would have Matt Turner in goal for both of these matches. I think he is the best keeper in the U.S. pool. I'm I'm happy for Zach Steffen to see him back involved. I can't imagine how difficult missing the World Cup was for him. I just think Matt Turner is a better goalkeeper, and I enjoy watching Matt Turner play soccer. So I would have Turner start for both of these matches, including the Granada game, of course. I would have Brian Reynolds start at right back. I've written about Brian Reynolds a a bit recently for backheeled. He's improving in Belgium. He's still not a complete player, but he is an Alfonso Davies-level athlete with a lot of upside. So at 21, I believe he's 21, there's still time for him to improve. And I want to see him hopefully get a chance here to show what he can do. I want to see him hopefully come back in the summer for a more extended period of time against better opposition. And I want to see more of Brian Reynolds. So Reynolds is my right back for this game. I would have Joe Scally on the left. 
Uh, he's a solid player. This is mostly just a function of who I'd start in the El Salvador game. So Scali would be on the left. We know he can do that job. We've seen him do it with Gladbach. He's done it a little bit for the national team before. And then I would have Trusty and McKenzie in the middle of my back line. So Austin, Trusty, and Mark McKenzie. Let's get the Philadelphia Union band back together, folks. I, I think I think Trusty has earned a real look here. McKenzie, I'm less sure of. Uh, I, I'm not incredibly high in his game at this point, but Again, based off of the center backs that I'd start in in the next round, it makes sense for me here. So I'm not mad at that pairing. And then looking at the midfield, the number six spot is difficult here, right? Because Tyler Adams isn't here with a little hamstring injury and Count Acosta isn't involved. And I, I think generally for the U.S., one of the priorities for this cycle needed to be identifying another number six. If Adams is going to be the guy, and he should, right, until he's deposed. If Adams is going to be the guy, I'm not sure there are many folks out there that felt all that confident in Kellen Acosta as the backup. I I didn't feel confident. It certainly feels like there's room to improve on that front. So in this camp, in this game against Granada, I've got Alan Zanora starting at the number six. He played more as a 10 or, or as a more advanced player in Argentina. Now he's in Liga Mekis. I, I like his game. He was dropping deep. I was in person at the, the first January camp game at uh, LAFC Stadium early on this year. And Senora was playing as an eight, but he was dropping down to, to receive as a six. He's an up-tempo player, likes to be on the ball, likes to move things forward, kind of a metronome type. So I like Senora. I'm not sure that that's his best spot, but I'm also not sure that it's not. And there aren't a lot of, a lot of other number sixes that I'm really intrigued by. So I'd have Senora at the six, De La Torre and Brendan Aronson as the eights with Aronson having more license to go forward, maybe drift into the half spaces a little bit, overload some of those areas, and Brian Reynolds can can overlap. Maybe Scowley stays a little bit deeper to keep some balance from right to left. I'd have those two there. And then as far as my forward line goes, I'd have Taylor Booth on the right side. I I don't love this, Frank, to be honest with you, but in keeping my <laughs> my total rotation, uh, I would have Alex Zendejas on the left. I just don't think Zendejas is very I think he's better on the right than the left, but it's not perfect, and somebody has to give here. So I'm having Zendayas give a little bit. So Booth on the right, Zendayas on the left, and Ricardo Pepe up top as the number nine. And this lineup, I think, the number six spot is the only spot that I've got a question about, allows me to rotate at least at 10, maybe even 11 spots for that El Salvador game. Yeah, it's interesting you said this. I'd say Senora was the player I was most surprised to see on the roster. Hmm. I think he's a really interesting player. Uh, I wasn't all that impressed with what he did in the January camp, but uh, you said you were there in person. Maybe it was easier to keep an eye on him um, there. I mean, what, what did you what did you like about him? What did you like about what you saw in, in that January friendly that he played? I thought his energy mixed with his baseline technical ability was better than pretty much any other U.S. midfielder. And the, the bar wasn't especially high. So the, the first match of the January camp, it was Aiden Morris, it was Paxton Pomichol, and it was Alan Senora. Pomichol, I think, still has something to give. Aiden Morris it just isn't ready yet, in my opinion, for the national team. I'm, I'm excited to see him improve. I think he will under Wilfred Nantes in Columbus this year. But Senora, you could just tell that he was a little bit more experienced, that he was a, a little bit more technical, had some more energy to him, looked ready to go. So I, I, I got a good impression from watching him in person and even from watching sections of those games back again. He wasn't lighting things on fire, right? He wasn't a completely dominant force. And you would like to see that in a January camp type situation, but we so rarely do. So Senora for me is, is a player that as we're searching for still depth in central midfield, right? Depth in the number eight position, uh, mostly depth though in the number six position for the top 26 guys that are going to be at the 26 World Cup. Senora to me is a guy who deserved another look I'm glad to see him here, and I hope he shows well when we see him again in the summer. 
Yeah, I do think that six is the most interesting call that Anthony Hudson has to make, you know, in this starting lineup. So you didn't go with Johnny Cardoso there. What's your thoughts on him and uh, why why you decided to go with Senor over Cardoso? I don't have a lot of... I don't put a lot of stock at the moment in Johnny Cardoso's game. I know he's playing for a good club in Brazil. His level is high, and the fact that he continues to get looks there says something, right? Every time I've watched Johnny Cardoso, I, I struggle to think of a time that I've left especially impressed by what I've seen. He's he's kind of lanky, and I'm not sure what his best position is. I'm not sure that that even his club really know for sure what his best position is. Is he an eight? Is he a six? Is he somebody who likes to get forward in a double pivot? Is he better as a free eight? Is he better as a lone? I mean, there's, there, I still have a lot of questions around his game. And so it would be good to get a look at him. And I'm guessing we'll get a look at almost everybody in these couple of games. So I think we'll we'll get at least a little bit more data on Cardoso. But again, with the, the asterisks of especially this first game against Granada, El Salvador will pose a better and more complete test, but still an imperfect one. Uh, I just don't have, a, I don't put a lot of stock in Cardoso at the moment, and I, I'm eager to be proved wrong. Still young, right? Still lots of time, and we still haven't seen him that much with the national team. So I, I'm eager and hopeful to be wrong, but I don't know, maybe just a lack of, of data or me just not quite seeing the full picture on Cardoso right now. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think I have too many um, disagreements with you on, on that starting lineup. I I do I would say I think I'm a little more nervous about this Granada game than than most people are. I know that we should on paper um, we have the team to blow them out of the water. I just I don't see this U.S. team play very well on the road against Concacaf you know opponents. I'm nervous about them not getting a good result at Granada. And then that El Salvador game turning into this absolute must-win game with all the pressure that's kind of on this team already with the whole, we have an interim coach, you know, there's this whole Reina, Burhalder scanner we talked about. So I I think I would go with more of a mixed team uh, of, I don't want to call it either an A or a B team, but maybe I'd, for example, on my center backs, I might not go with my who I think is my three and four, I might put my one and three in there or my mm. one and four and kind of do that throughout the lineup. So the 11 I had is, you know, Matt Turner and goalkeeper, which I think uh, we agreed on that. Brian Reynolds, I agree with you on that. I'd have Mark McKenzie and Tim Ream on my center as my center backs just to get, just to kind of get that mix that I talked about and have a little more certainty there. Um, I would start Anthony Robinson as my left back. I went with Johnny Cardoso as my six in the midfield, but I'm, I am nervous about it. I, I, I will tell you, I don't have a lot of data watching him either, but um, I think against Granada, he should be okay there. And then I am going to put Eunice Musa and Brent Aronson in the midfield um, along with him. I'm going to start Gio Reyna because I want to start him one of these games, but I'm, I'm a little nervous about starting him in front of the home crowd. And the pressure that might put on him. What if there's some fans that are, I don't know, taunting him? Um, he's going to be in front of the press more for that U.S. game. So I, I see this Granada game as kind of a little under the radar, lower pressure game. I can stick him into the starting lineup and get that that first start out of the way. I agree with you. I'd put Zendejas uh, on the other wing, and I'd put Pepe, you know, a, a, as my forward. But the main thing is, I think I'd try to instead of going with a complete reserve lineup for that game. I try and mix in some of my some of my normal starters with uh, some of the more backup players, just because I'm just a little bit more nervous about that Granada game 
and something going wrong there and putting too much pressure on, on this El Salvador game. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I can understand that. It's never easy going down to play in some of these conditions in the Caribbean or in Central America. It's not an easy proposition, and it's not a guaranteed win for the U.S., right? It, it's not. I think what you're hoping for, if you're the U.S., in, in terms of advancing, and this this should absolutely happen. If it doesn't, something very, very wrong has gone on, and <laughs> we should be critical of, of what happens here. But, I mean, if, if you even pick up a point against Granada, you can get away with a point against El Salvador, right? So if, if you pick up nothing, you've got to beat El Salvador. If you pick up a point or three points against uh, against Granada, you know you still need at least a draw. So I, the margins just aren't super big for me. Like the, the difference is you're, you're still probably going to need something out of the El Salvador game. You're still going to need something out of the El Salvador game yeah, no matter no what. Matter it's what, just a matter if it's a win yeah. or a draw, right? So yeah, and, and as far as the difference between you know, my lineup and your lineup, I, I, I don't think they're all that different. Like... You're still going to have the quality advantage. You're still going to rotate some. I, I guess I'm just entering this with the mindset of try to limit starting players twice in this window just because players have done a lot this year between uh, all the European competitions that are going on, between the World Cup, like players have done a lot of stuff. And I would imagine close to the end of March here, they're they're getting tired. So that's my thinking on that. But I, I'm not really sure you can go wrong in this in this camp. Yeah. I do think that you'll see a completely different starting lineup, except for maybe goalkeeper uh, between the two games, just because there is only two days rest between the games. I think they're going to have to rotate everybody. But kind of looking at that, looking at the next game then against El Salvador on Monday, how would you change things up? What are the different things you're going to be looking for versus El Salvador versus Granada? I think at home against El Salvador, we should expect the U.S. to be the protagonist, right? And we should expect the same thing on the road, but how you be the protagonist is different depending on the conditions, right? Playing in Orlando at Orlando City Stadium, like it, it's the field's going to be good, right? You should be able to play real soccer. The U.S. should come out here and try to dominate, right? Try to carry over what we saw at the World Cup stylistically where Anthony Hudson was there, a part of that staff. They should be trying to do a lot of the same stuff. Now, it doesn't mean that the positional alignment has to be identical or that the, the personnel have to be the same, but the style, we should expect them to come out there and, and control the game to create chances against an inferior team and to to win, right? And, and ideally to be dominant in a game like this. It won't be easy. El Salvador has something to play for. So it's not like that's a game we can take for granted, but you know, the U.S. should come out here and expect to be good, like to expect to play good soccer with their best players. I think it does make sense to keep a, a lot of the, the A1 guys involved here. So I, I would have Turner, Dest, you know, Miles Robinson, Tim Ream, Jedi Robinson. That would be my back five. And then the number six spot, I don't have a, a strong preference. Maybe it's Cardoso because I didn't have him in the first game. I'm still kind of curious, quietly curious about seeing De La Torre play as a number six. Mm -hmm. I think he could do a really good job of that as a ball mover. He's got good energy, could go side to side, not Tyler Adams level of mobility, but as far as I can recall, we haven't, we've never seen it with the national team, as far as I can remember. And I, I don't think we've seen it much at all at club level either. So maybe De La Torre there, that would break my don't start a guy twice rule, but you know, maybe he can handle it. I've got Musa and McKenney, Reyna, Pulisic, and DK as, as sort of the more attacking minded players. So you, you almost, like I said earlier, you can't really go wrong with this lineup, but I want to see whoever's out there on the field for the U.S., really creating and, and controlling this game. That should be the expectation for this team between now and and the 2026 World Cup and after the World Cup against teams that are are worse than them, right? And on talent, El Salvador is is not at the United States level. Yeah. De La Torre, whichever game he plays, he's one of the players I'm most excited to watch as well. I mean, he's shown flashes 
before to me uh, of somebody who can be a really exciting player for this team. He's playing a lot right now at, at Celta Vigo. I think he's starting almost every game. So I'm excited to see what he does uh, when he gets when he gets out there. Let's fast forward. It's Tuesday morning. You wake up, you're drinking some coffee. You're thinking back on these on these two games, these two matches that just happened. What what needs to happen for you to consider this a good window for the U.S. for you to be pleased with their performance overall? I'll toss some needs to happen and some likes to happen into the same bucket here. Because I'm not sure the needs to happen is a short list, right? Just make it to the final four of the Nations League and avoid injuries. For me, those are the two things. It's it's going to be so tempting, and I've hit on this a couple of times, but it's going to be so tempting to overreact and to anoint as, as excited I am as about, uh, uh, as excited as I am, excuse me, about Brian Reynolds. Like, and and as, as much as I want him to be really good and play really well, you know, if he comes out against Granada and has a goal and an assist and is dominating on the overlap and just looks fantastic, like, that doesn't tell us a whole lot, right? Because he, he won't be playing a team that's even as good as the ones he plays in Belgium. So it, it's not going to be all that informative or instructive for us. So on the player side, it's tough. But yeah, on Tuesday morning, ideally, the U.S. will be playing in the Final Four against... Mexico and Canada and whoever else in that group, and they'll have two, you know, strong games against World Cup quality teams in June. That's the first major thing. Injuries, I mentioned it as well. Hudson has to make sure that he's rotating players, and I'm sure he will. I'm guessing clubs have given uh, plenty of of thoughts on that as far as how they'd like their players to be used. But limit limit the number of injuries and and avoid that stuff as best you can. The U.S. pool is just super injury prone, right? Tyler Adams has dealt with a bunch of injuries throughout his career. Pulisic, Reyna, McKenney. Uh, Moose has been injured a few times. Desk gets injured all the time. So, I mean, it's it's difficult. So avoid that as much as you can. And then, yeah, I, I want to see a continuation of the style stuff that we've seen before. And really, the El Salvador game is going to be the major opportunity to show that. But I want to see the U.S. control. I want to see them look good. I want to see them not just escape and, and, you know, just squeeze into the next round. But ideally, we should be seeing the U.S. come out here and dominate these games. I want to I want to see them play well. And selfishly, for for me as someone who's going to watch this game, I want to I want to enjoy it, right? I want to enjoy how the team plays, and I want to see them be successful. I think that's that's going to be directly tied to the kinds of games and how dominant this U.S. team is, because it's fun to watch a team play good soccer. So I, I want to see the U.S. play well, and then the the last thing is, hopefully we we make some progress and have some positive data points on. Gio Reyna, right? And how he interacts with his teammates. It's going to be difficult from afar to get a good read on. Hopefully we'll read more from folks that are are in and around that camp and we'll have plenty of coverage of it at Backfield. Hopefully we'll continue to see positive signs of Gio Reyna's maturity and, you know, what his working relationship is going to be like with his teammates because undeniably that that is something that's going to need some mending in the future. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, bare minimum, is making it through. As long as that happens, you know, really there's not going to be a whole lot to complain about. You know, one of the things we talk about is that the U.S. doesn't get a lot of opportunities to play high quality, meaningful games, you know, especially between now and the next World Cup. Being able to play in a final against Mexico, especially, but even Canada, you know, the way they've been playing, that is an important game that I think would be a great experience for, you know, the, the U.S. to get you know, this, this Nations League as well. Yeah, I think what I'm just most interested in seeing, though, for me to call the performance good is that one thing I think this U.S. team has been lacking is the ability to take care of business in the easier games and not make it so so difficult all the time. 
you know, even in CONCACAF qualifying, they didn't play very well on the road. They have a tendency to play down to their opponents sometime. And I've always thought, you know, one sign for me that the U.S. is starting to take it to the next level with regards to their competitiveness is when they start just taking care of business against these Granadas on the road, when they can go down there and they can get a 2-0 victory without a whole lot of like surprises. So that's what I would like to see. I would like to see them go and just take care of business. It doesn't have to be flashy, but they should be able to take care of business these two, these two games, these two matches, and roll into semifinals. Uh, so that's that's what I'm going to need to see to call it like a, a good performance. I do want to see two two wins here. So with all that said, let's make some predictions. What we think is going to happen? Results, scores. Let's start with the Granada game. What's your prediction? You said it there, Frank. I'm going to go with it. I think we will see the U.S. come out to a, a pretty controlling win on the road. 2-0 might, might be a, a little low even for me. I'll go with I'll go with, I'll go go 3-0. I was going to say 2-0. I'll go with 3-0. I think it's going to be a mostly composed, not flashy, not especially attractive win, but I think it's going to be an effective performance from the U.S. on the road in Granada. I think they're going to get a 3-0 win. Okay. I'm going to go 1-0. I know it's a little surprising, but I just I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they come out two nil or three nil. But just from what I've seen so far on the road, Concacaf team, I don't think they're going to concede a goal. I think maybe they're going to struggle to get that first one. Maybe if they get one early, then they'll be kind of a little bit of an avalanche. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with one nil for that game. Okay. How about El Salvador then at home? I'm gonna say that this will be a 3-1 win. I think the U.S. will again be the better team. I I've, I think the talent advantage between them and, and some of the other teams in this region has grown over the last few years. I'm thinking from watching this team play that it's going to continue to grow and that there's going to be more and more depth added here. So I'm going to say a 3-1 win with El Salvador getting something because they, they are a team with some capable players and, and we saw throughout World Cup qualifying that they are a team that can do some some positive things. So I'll go 3-1 in this match in Orlando. I picked the exact same score. Hey! So we're, we're in perfect sync there. You know, as poor as they play on the road sometimes, at home, I usually see them play great. They have a tendency to score a goal in bunches, especially when it's a really uh, must-need win, must-need game. So, yeah, I think 3-1, solid victory against El Salvador at home. All right, Joseph, so... Thank you for sharing all of that information. Before you go, two things. First of all, want to just invite you to share anything else you'd like about these upcoming Nations League games. Uh, but then also, please tell folks where they can see more of your work and learn more about you if they'd like. The last thing for the U.S. Uh, is, again, less tied to these games, but more something I'm going to be watching throughout the summer and just going forward, right, as we start this new cycle. Because in, in some ways... This, this feels like the start of the cycle, right? Uh, mm-hmm. January camp happened, but this is the chance with players that are most likely to meaningfully contribute in, in about three years. So this is kind of the, the beginning of something new, but at the same time, it's carrying over a bunch, right? I think we could all go through and, and maybe hit 14 players, 13, 14 players that we feel pretty confident that if they're healthy, they're going to be at the 2026 World Cup. That's kind of bizarre, right? That doesn't really happen a lot, certainly not... Certainly hasn't happened for the U.S. where you feel this confident about a young core of players that is on track to impact the team at, at multiple World Cups in a row so early on in their professional career. So 
you know, that, that's one thing I'm, I'm going to be watching for who comes in to support those players, right? Who comes in to add depth, to push them, to continue to grow that number from 13 or 14 to maybe by after this summer, it's closer to 15 or 16. And there's a couple guys that have, have sort of joined that group from the European contingent. Maybe it's Taylor Booth, maybe it's Alex Andreas, who, who plays in Mexico, not Europe, but you get the idea. You know, maybe there's a couple of these players and then maybe after the Copa America next year, it's more like 17 or 18. And, and we see that number continue to grow Again, I don't know how much we'll be able to tell who the extra players are going to be from these games. Maybe the El Salvador game will give us some some more useful data. But I'm really having my I'm really keeping my eyes on that theme from now until the World Cup kicks off in 2026 because the core is there. I think a lot of the stylistic elements are there as well in terms of how the team plays. The foundation is stronger than it's been in a long time for the U.S. The floor is higher. I want to see if they can raise the ceiling a bit and continue to raise the floor as well with some of these extra players. So that's my last thought, kind of major overarching thought on the U.S. And and yeah, these games and also looking forward in terms of where folks can read or find more of the stuff that I'm doing, that we're doing at Backheeled. You can go and check out Backheeled.com where we cover a bunch of different aspects of American soccer, including the U.S. men's and women's national teams. We'll have plenty of coverage of the U.S. as they march towards 2026 and certainly the U.S. women's national team as they get closer and closer to their World Cup, which is just months away at this point. So plenty of coverage of that, the domestic leagues as well. Lots of great folks contributing. You can also find me on Twitter at Joe C. Lowry. I do other work as well. So that's a good spot to make sure that you're uh, that you're up to date if that's something that for some reason you want to be. Joseph, thank you again so much for joining the show. It's a real pleasure having you here. Yeah, thank you, Frank. I appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for listening to Here and Abroad. I'm Frank Garza, and I'll be back soon with a new episode.